You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to the pinnacle of wrestling entertainment, Premier Streaming Network. Join us at watchonpremier.com to unlock the ultimate wrestling experience, curated to perfection. Immerse yourself in the spectacular world of wrestling history, where classic battles and unforgettable moments are at your fingertips. Join us today and experience the epitome of curated wrestling content, because when it comes to wrestling entertainment, Premier sets the standard. Be Premier. What's up, everybody? It's Marcus D'Angelo, and we are back for another episode of Everybody's Got a Pod. And you know who this guy is right next to me. That is the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, the Hall of Famer. Ted, how are you doing, my friend? Marcus, I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, dude, I could not hope to be better. Uh, you know, I, I say it every week. We are rocking and rolling, picking out momentum here on the podcast, good, and that's good. that's a that's a shoot, brother. Uh, everything is awesome. Everything that's is going good. great, and uh, I'll tell you what, we are bringing some fun content to our uh, our listeners today because, you know, a lot of folks. Whenever I put out that episode a couple of weeks ago, the uh, it was episode ten, the summer of '93. A lot of people were like, "Hey, uh, why wasn't Razor Ramon on the graphic? Hey, why didn't you talk about when Ted uh, retired in Japan?" And uh, well, as it turns out, we're finishing that story today. <laughs> wow! Okay, it was so much of a story we had to break into into two episodes. And man, I won't waste any more time because uh, there is a lot to cover here. Yeah, I will say though, before we get started, you guys know my gimmick by now. I've got to remind you to head over to YouTube.com/slash at Everybody's Got a Pod and get subscribed. We're doing a giveaway right now with this signed figure from Ted DiBiase himself. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who are listening, I just pulled up the graphic. Uh, Guys, it's it's that like Masters of the Universe, He-Man style figure. It's a real work of art uh, with the WWE Superstars figures. Ted is going to sign it. I'm going to ship it to you. And all you have to do to be eligible is get over youtube.com forward slash at everybody's got a pod and subscribe and you're in. Also, we've got a ton of clips from the show and we even drop a YouTube exclusive clip every single Monday that you cannot hear anywhere else. So if you love what we're doing here and you're not subscribed, I can tell you definitively you are missing out. Uh, Again, it's youtube.com slash at everybody's got a pod. Uh, so, Ted, as we roll into July of 93, a lot of things are changing fast. Namely, the biggest names of the golden era of wrestling are all either gone or on their way out the door here in the WWF. Uh, Hogan is gone. You're about to depart from the company and go back to Japan. Hacksaw is wrapping up. Uh, Jake and Warrior had both left the year prior. And the list goes on and on. So, you know, as you're getting re- ready to depart and kind of this company that you've helped to build to the point that it's at, do you have confidence that, uh, you know, this new crop of talent that they're going to call the new generation are going to be able to fill the shoes of you guys? You know, as a reminder, the WWF still had The Undertaker, Bret Hart, Lex Luger, Shawn Michaels, Yokozuna, Razor Ramon, and Diesel had just come into the company. So, you know, we know what the benefit of hindsight uh, that you know, how, how things would turn out. But at the time, did you see the guy, a guy on the roster that could fill the void left behind by, by yourself and the other members of the golden era? You know, 
Yeah, maybe a couple guys. Um, Brett, I consider Brett Hart, you know, my heir. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, he, he might have been a little bit, you know, but I mean, again, and Bret Hart was very, yeah, Bret Hart was, he was very good. He was a great champion. And why? Why? I mean, he, he, he grew up in the wrestling business. His father was a promoter of uh, the Calgary territory. Yes. And so, I mean, there's, there's another second generation wrestler who, who, uh, you know, you know, loved the business and, and did very well. I mean, Lex, you know, Lex, Lex was good on the microphone. Lex had a tremendous body, but he wasn't the greatest, you know, technician in the ring. You know, he was a guy that you, you know, you know, that needed, needed to be led. But, but, you know, I give him credit for, for being as good as he was. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. you know, it's when you see a guy like Bret Hart, who's like, yep, he's got all of the technical skills, maybe not super polished on the mic, but, you know, it's yeah. he's, he's still pretty good. Um, when you see him and all of a sudden it's like, OK, he's becoming the guy. It's like, man, this is a very, very different dude than the model that had been working, you know, like these giant muscle bound guys. I mean, uh, you see Bret Hart. Are you like, OK, I can see him carrying the banner or were you a little skeptical? Uh, well, I wasn't skeptical because I, I, I knew his background and, you know, and, and Brett and I only had a couple of opportunities to wrestle each other and, and we had, and we had great matches. And that's the other thing about Brett, Brett could, Brett could lead you, Brett could have a, you know, and go out there and, and have, you know, a great match. And, and I, I think that's, you know, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's what Vince uh, began to see and understand is that, you know, just because you, you put a great big mu mu muscle head in the ring doesn't mean that he's a great wrestler, you know? And, you know, I was a big guy, but I, you know, I mean, I had a decent body, but I was never a muscle head, which is obvious. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Vince was ready to go with Bret Hart. However, you know, the next year at around this time, Vince would put his full support behind Diesel. So as a reminder, Kevin Nash had just come into the company in June of 93. So a month prior to what we're talking about here. And it's this is right in the middle of that steroid controversy. And Kevin Nash is huge and he's clean. He's not using steroids. And uh, Vince was allegedly immediately infatuated with his size. Uh, whenever you first meet Kevin Nash here, because I assume this is the first time you've crossed paths with him. Uh, did you see superstar potential? Um, personally, at the time, I, I did not. You know, uh, and again, um, that was my thing. So here's another a great big body. And it's, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we all have egos. And especially, I mean, uh, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't be Vince McMahon not have an ego. I mean, right. you got to believe in yourself and believe what you're doing. And, and uh, you know, I, you know, I think Vince had this, this thing where, you know, uh, watch me. I can make a star out of anybody. Ah. Um, and I don't know. Uh, but I mean, uh, it was uh, with with uh, with Kevin. It it took a little while, but he got there. He did, and really, yeah. it was more it was more with the NWO down the road. Uh, I think is when when his you know he really took off. Like, yep, he got to be the champion and you know enjoy all of those perks. See, but, but but again, what you're talking about, you said down the road. Well, during that time, he was having the opportunity. To, to get better and better by way of the guys he was getting in the ring with that were helping him become that guy. 
Yes, exactly. And Kevin Nash yeah. to this day credits saying like, hey, you know, I was ringside as a as a bodyguard for Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon night after night after night. And yeah. he was like, and I learned just by standing ringside exactly. and watching. Exactly. And he picked it up and 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 carried the torch. Well, another young talent at the time is a guy we discussed at length on episode 10, and that's the one, two, three kid. After teasing Razor Ramon about losing the kid in June, you'd take him on in early July. Uh, we talked about it lately uh, on the last episode, but let's watch back the fallout from that uh, and uh, Vince making you watch back the result of the match. And gentlemen, more Monday Night Raw. What action we have here this week? Talk about action. That would take us, by the way, to wrestling challenge this past weekend, which we're going to talk about. The matchup between Ted DiBiase and the one, two, three kid. On the line right now, I believe. Ted DiBiase, are you there? I'm here. Well, Ted DiBiase, you can't be too pleased as to the outcome of the matchup with you and the one, two, three kid this past weekend. Pleased, upset, upset, McMahon. It's not even the word to describe how I'm feeling right now. And it's not that snot nosed one, two, three kid I'm upset with. I was wiping the mat with him. It's that no good stinking Razor Ramon coming out there and sticking his nose in my business. He will pay for that, McMahon. Oh, I really? guarantee you he'll pay for that. All right, well, stay with us if you would, because we're going to take you back right now to footage from this past what? weekend. What? You're going to do what? We're going to show the foot. No, I no, wouldn't no, show no, that. No, McMahon, you can't show that footage. No, no. Well, I'm no. told we, we, let's roll the footage. No, no, no don't roll. McMahon, you, want show, to roll it. you show that footage, McMahon, I'm hanging up. Teddy, you don't hang up. This is Bobby. Don't uh, hang up, Teddy. All right, let's take you back to this past weekend. It's wrestling challenge. Up. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. One, two, three, kid versus Ted DiBiase. Hello. Sometimes you can feel a man grab you. You can just tell by moving your arm or your leg that his strength isn't there anymore. Hey, wait a minute. Look, look who's coming down the aisle. Razor Ramon. Razor Ramon making his way to the ring. Man, this could be a, a volatile situation. This could be the end of the one, two, three kid. Oh, mommy, daddy, please come help me. They're going to tear me apart. Oh, please stop that. It could be the end of the million dollar. This kid beat him. I mean, it makes us all look bad. Well, DiBiase has dominated the one, two, three kid. And DiBiase's really rubbing it in. And the kid got a shot up. He's got the old top. that was a blast <laughs> oh yeah it was and uh, and i loved it too i did i did i loved it you know and uh and 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 to the kid's credit i mean he went on to I mean you know uh <laughs> i mean you know it, you know everybody you know, it's like uh everybody knew that you know vince liked guys with big bodies and a lot of muscles but he also I mean, as, as as time went on, I think you know he even, he even changed a little bit. Now look at the one, two, three kid, you know. But uh, yeah, but again, the way that whole thing was set up and the, and the way that we did it, uh, it helped make the kid for sure. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's cool hearing you say that because I think that a lot of guys, you know, and certainly guys from your, your generation, you know, I've heard a lot of them say over the years, like, oh, well, you've got to be careful taking a, a pinfall loss on TV and like, oh man, you know, you want to, you want to make it almost like a slip on a banana peel type finish. If this guy's going to get you, you know, I hear that a lot from guys from your generation, but really what's, what's great about what you just said is your focus is on, yep, I got him over for that, you know, and, and yeah. that's, that's really kind of the art of being the heel, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And, and, uh, and, and again, because of the way that it was done, uh, I mean, it didn't hurt me. It didn't take any heat off of me, you know, because of the way it was done, you know, the little confrontation with razor, uh, you know, which, you know, would, 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 would set up a future match. Uh, uh and then, and then the way that, I mean, it's like, it's obvious to everybody in the crowd that I, uh, the kid is beat. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm being a, you know, like a jerk, right? Like, you know, you'll see how easy this is. And then he hooks me and it just, it, you know, yeah, you couldn't have done it any better. You know I mean, in terms of a pop uh, and even when it was laid out, I said, this is going to be great. They're going to, they are going to pop. And they did. They did. And it, it was a great setup for you and Razor because he was kind of like the culprit that, that yeah. helped Kid get the win. So perfect setup for SummerSlam. You know, uh, the one, two, three Kid here, he's working, uh, you know, a very unique style, kind of a little bit more high flying. Guys like him and Shawn Michaels are kind of setting a new standard in pro wrestling. Uh, and it's a standard that, you know, along with Lucha Libre would kind of influence what wrestling today has become. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, at the time, you know, what did you think of his work? Uh, well, I, again, I liked it. I mean, you know, uh, and, and everything changes it even, even, even me. I mean, it's kind of like if, if you were to watch, if you were to watch, have watched my father's era of pro wrestling. Wow. I mean, it's got, you talk about a lot more, uh, a, a lot less action. I mean, a high spot was called a high spot because most of the time they were down on the mat. Oh, okay. Uh, and and uh, you know you didn't see nearly the the number of high spots in the in the match and you know like in, you know like Dory Funk Senior and Iron Mike DiBiase, um, and it's amazing that that those two guys were able to hold the attention of the crowd for three three hours and twenty minutes. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It was it was unbelievable. But what made it believable was the way they worked it. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, and, and, and you talk about they, it was a work, but they legitimately, both guys agreed ahead of time to take a shot. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, if you want to slice somebody open, it's, 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 it's a, a downhill punch, you mm -hmm. know, over, over the eye, over the eyebrow. And, and, and again, they had pictures of both of them the next day in the paper and they were bruised up all of that you know uh, for the love of wrestling for for to to maybe uh, you know like get those doubters out there like wow these guys really they really went for it anyway um and yes you know the one two three kid had a different style however you know it's yep he was doing some really cool phenomenal interesting looking moves but uh, he was there was a lot of emphasis on selling from him, you know, yeah. as this as the smaller baby face. And that's how you get sympathy. And then those moves exactly. that you do mean a lot more. That's just it. That is it's kind of like uh, 
the match is going to be, it's going to, the match is only as good as the guy who does the sell job Mm -hmm. and how, and how well he sells, how believably he sells, you know, because the sell, the sell job, you're selling yourself, you're being, you're, you're being beat up, what have you. and, And it's like that that's all setting up and building to that point in the match where he makes a comeback and the less of a sell job you do, the less response you're going to get from the crowd on a comeback. Cause if there's, if there's very little selling, then there's, you know, you know, again, the comeback is only as good as a sell job, put it that way. And he was always great at it. So was Shawn Michaels, you know, yeah. Ricky Morton was never a big guy, but he was a great yeah. seller. So it's, yeah. you know, it, it shows those guys got over. Absolutely. Um, so we've talked about Scott Hall a little bit on the show before, but at this time he's still pretty young and he's really starting to hit a groove here as Razor Ramon. Uh, what, what can you tell us about your thoughts on his ring work and persona here? Uh, um, I think that, um, again, he's a, a young guy who had a lot of potential. And the, the one thing, again, the one thing I always stress is, and just like Junkyard Dog, Junkyard Dog was not a great in-ring technician, but Junkyard Dog had charisma come out of his ears. Mm-hmm. If you, you can't teach charisma to anybody. You either have it or you don't. And you can go out there and you can work a perfect match, all the moves and all of that stuff, but if the sell job isn't what it should be, it, it, if you don't have that, that it factor, then it's blah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. And you felt that uh, Scott had that kind oh, of. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He, he, you know, he, that's the one thing he had from the get go was the charisma. Just like him, you know, like the whole razor room, I mean, the way he, the way he put it over was great. <laughs> Ted, did you ever see the movie Scarface? Yes. <laughs> and you, that's what I thought of. <laughs> Scott has Scott has said he was he he got yeah. into the meeting with Vince and he started doing his Tony Montana impression yeah. and and the, that's all she wrote he was yeah. you know and it's it's funny because he's got the razors on his tights and stuff and you know yeah. back in the day you chop up cocaine with a razor so, <laughs> so it's like he's kind of like a Cuban drug dealer I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we have heard over the years that Scott could, uh, at times rub people the wrong way. Now, look, I have met Scott in the past and he was, he was a really nice person, but you know, I've heard that, you know, when he was under the influence, he could rub people the wrong way. Did you always get along well with Scott? I never had an issue with Scott. Uh, you know, he and I always got along. Um, uh, I think there was just, you know, I, I respected him. He was a, a new young guy. I mean, like, you know, like, even like, like Kevin was a, a, a basically in my, based on, you know, my time in the business was a young, a young guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those, both those guys went on to be big stars. So, and, and I mean, I know, I, I think that it's kind of like, I guess the one feeling would be like when they first, when they first showed up on this steam, it was kind of like, um, showed up on the scene. It was like, um, some guys thought that they had kind of an attitude, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and that's not a, that's not, a, that's not a good thing to bring 
if you're trying to get over with everybody because you realize that all those guys that that, that you're putting your nose up to are guys you're going to have to get in the ring with and, and, and make a living with. So, Right, and you've got to stick your chin out for these guys and, and trust yeah. them to, to not <laughs> yeah. hurt you. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, well, another interesting note at this time is that Jim Cornette comes into the WWF along with the Heavenly Bodies, and he becomes a new spokesperson uh, manager for Yokozuna. Uh, Cornette is not a name I see us discussing very often here on the show, but everybody seems to have a story about him. Uh, wondering if you do or what your experiences with him were like. I, I oh gosh, I, you know Jim Cornette. You talk, you talk about. Uh, I mean, I I don't know if he talked more on TV or or off the off the TV, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, I thought he was a great manager. I didn't, I ne- I never had an issue with him. I never did. You know. Well, it's you're one of the uh, rare exceptions. It sounds like you know, just basically anybody who gets in a stratosphere eventually gets crossways with him at some time or another. Um, but yeah, some of the stories I've heard, man, uh, great manager and a hell of a personality, great talker, but man, he could be a little volatile from what I've been told. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's kind of like, I just, you know, I, yeah, I, I pretty much kept to myself. <laughs> always, always a safe bet. Well, uh, SummerSlam arrives on August 30th, and it would mark your final televised match with the, with the WWF. I know you were getting ready to uh, depart for Japan here, but if somebody had told you at the time that this was going to be your last match as the Million Dollar Man, do you think you would have believed it? Um, I'm not sure. You know, um, you know this. Uh, do we have Do we have that match? Yes, sir. I've got the final moments of it here coming up for our next clip. Okay, let's let's look at it and then we'll talk about it. All right. Ted DiBiase cinching up Razor. What's he gonna do now? Ooh, oh, yeah, neckbreaker. He's getting ready for that million-dollar dream. Ted DiBiase. Perhaps with a bit of revenge, considering DiBiase's loss to the one-two-three kid, which you say he credits Razor Ramon with. Up goes Razor Ramon for the suplex. Do it, Petty. He's yours. You own him. Here we go. Here it comes. Oh yeah. DiBiase getting set for the million-dollar dream. No, Razor counters with an elbow. DiBiase still the aggressor, trying to set up Razor now. Back to his feet. Reversal. DiBiase coming off the rope, first line, but Razor himself goes down. Both men down. I don't think Razor's got it anymore. DiBiase has taken a great deal out of Razor Ramon. A hard-fought matchup here, our very first matchup at SummerSlam. Look out to the buckle, yes! And Razor Ramon to the outside. Taking the coward's way out, may I add? Beg your pardon? Wait a minute, look at this. DiBiase, while well, the official's back is turned, the Ted DiBiase, DiBiase has loosened the corner pad. He stripped the corner pad from the corner, exposing that steel ring. And Razor Ramon has no idea what's in store for him. Razor Ramon to the buckle. No! No! What a reversal! Not the Razor's edge! No, no! Gentlemen, that's unbelievable! Teddy, no! To the camera! 
There it was. That's awesome. Your final match is a million dollar man. Yeah. And couldn't have, couldn't have been with a better guy. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, that's a Hall of Famer that's pinning your shoulders yeah. to the mat there. I so mean, pretty cool. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, he was, uh, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, you know, like uh, some people had issues with him and he might rub somebody the wrong way. But I, you know, I never had an issue with him. I mean, it's, again, it's kind of like business is business. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, or, or that old deal, like, you know, you, you want me to put that guy over? I mean, I look, you know, I'm here. I'm a, that's what you do. It, yeah, you know, it, that's your job, especially as a heel. Um, you know, and we had a good enough match where I lost that match, but it did, did in terms of uh, hurting my credibility, it didn't at all. Right, and that's because I, we had a great match. You had him in trouble, and uh, you yeah. wanted to go for the cheap way out with uh, taking the the pad off the turnbuckle, and it just it, it backfired on you. It's a good yeah. story. Yeah, it's all how it's done. So, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me here is that Scott, uh, when he had you up in that razor's edge, before he dropped you, he dropped to his knees before planning you with the finish and gave you a really nice kind of gentle landing. So I know that you <laughs> I know that you had been dealing with back issues earlier in 93, and you're about to head over to Japan and get that injury that would end your career. But do you recall being ban banged up at, at this point? Well, you know, I, you know, I don't recall it. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, getting hurt in wrestling is, 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 a, it's like a part of life. You know, you're, there's going to be times when you're going to have some, some kind of injury. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't foresee that as a, a, a huge issue at the time. Well, uh, you know, wrapping up here with the company that turned you from a wrestler and a well-respected wrestler into a megastar, like a legitimate part of pop culture. Yeah. Um, it, how does, is it like bittersweet getting out of this? Uh, yeah, it's, 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 you know, um, uh, the whole thing about going back to Japan was, was kind of like, uh, I needed more time at home. Yes. What, what year was this? This was 93, so it, okay. if uh, what you had told me before was that around WrestleMania 9, which had been in whatever, March or April of 93, that's when the issues had started at home, and and now you were ready to get off the, the road, correct? Yeah, yeah, and that and that was that was the deal. That was the whole, and again, I, I had this conversation with Vince. I said, you know, Vince, I, I, I don't want to go. I said, but, you know, to, to save my marriage, I think this is what I need to do because I can go to Japan and I can be there a couple of weeks, but when I'm home, I'm home. Mm -hmm. I'm not just home like, you know, for a couple of days and then gone again. I'm home. I'm like, I'm home for like a month or two months and then I go back to Japan. And, um, and, and, you know, he, he totally understood that there was no issue there. So I, I didn't leave the company with any, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, hard feelings. Okay, guys, let's take a quick break to talk about taking care of some serious business. And I'm talking about taking care of business 
in the bedroom. And if you're trying to take care of business, you need to try Blue Chew. Guys, let's just take a minute to talk about sex. You remember back in the day when you were always ready to go? Well, with a little help from Blue Chew, you can get that thing so hard you could take it hunting. It's going to help increase your performance and regain that old confidence in bed. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready when the opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And you want to know the best part? It's all done online. No awkward visits to the doctor's office, no weird conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy anymore. Blue Chew's tablets are made right here in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. But of course, there will be nothing discreet about your package. Look, guys, I ordinarily like to try things before I make any kind of a commitment, you know, because you want to find out, is this actually going to work? Will it work for me? Well, that's good. That's got to be the best part of this whole thing. With our deal, you can try it for a month for free. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping. This whole time, you and your partner may have been having the best sex of your whole life and been missing out on it without even knowing. So why not just give Blue Chew a shot? Just find out. You know, when you can get it for a month for free with only $5 shipping, it's silly not to just give it a try. Women are attracted to confidence and Blue Chew can help to give you confidence where it counts the very most. Don't wait any longer. Let's chew it and do it. Take advantage of our special deal. Again, you can try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code EGAP at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code EGAP, and receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. And how did your wife feel about you? I mean, because you're getting off the pirate ship here with, with the WWF and getting yourself out of that, that position. But now it's like, okay, honey, I'm packing my bags and I'm off to Japan. Like, did she have an issue with that? Or was she just happy that you weren't going to be constantly on the road? Well, she, yeah, she was happy that I wasn't going to be constantly on the road. At this time, you know, it's like at, at, at that time, it's like now, <laughs> I mean... If the WWE was then what it is now, and I was only on the road four days a week, I mean, she'd have been fine with that. But that wasn't the case then. You know, this is like, this is still when we're out going, I, I don't know. I think that, uh, that there was a point where at one point it was kind of like he would do, we would have 10 days on and three days off, and then we'd go four days on and three days off. But again, that's that's still, that's like six days uh Six days a month that you're you're home. Yes. So it's not much. Not much. That's that's a lot to ask of a significant yeah. other, especially with children at home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, WWF Magazine acknowledged your departure, saying that you left to pursue other endeavors. They also claimed that you lost much of your wealth due to bad investments and uh, Meltzer's, <laughs> <laughs> which is just incredible. Uh, Meltzer speculates that the claim was uh, paving the way for an eventual face turn if you ever decide to come back to the company. Uh, when you're leaving the company here, does Vince talk to you about, you know, uh, hey, the door is always open, like one of those type conversations? Well, I mean, yeah, and he did say, yeah, the door was always open. I knew that I could, you know, come back. Um, you know, and I, and I didn't, and again, there was no, you know, there, there, were, there were no hard feelings at the time. I mean, I, I was very grateful for, for what, I mean, I mean, and like you said it, I mean, this, you know, uh, 
and I, you know, happened to be in that era, you know, those, one of those guys between the mid eighties and mid nineties. And it's, you know, here I am, uh, Marcus, and um, I'm about to turn 70 and, and they're making, they're still making new action figures. Like <laughs> I've got a new Funko pop out. I mean, I, are you kidding? I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I'm lucky, lucky to be in, in that era. You certainly did something right. If you know they're still making action figures of you, you're still doing the autograph signings. Like, man, uh, you nailed yeah. it. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, well, you didn't waste any time following SummerSlam on nine three. You're in Budokan Hall wrestling your first match for All Japan since 1987, and uh, you would win the PWF World and International Tag Team Titles with your old pal Stan Hansen defeating Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tao. Uh, I've got video of your entrance with Stan, which I included because of this incredible reaction that we're about to see. And uh, we've also got the final moments of the match. It's all in Japanese, so I'm going to narrate it for our okay. listening audience. All right, so we're getting a look inside of the arena right now. And it is a jam-packed house. There are your opponents backstage. Stretching out. And now they've got you backstage with Stan. And you are decked out in your vest and your chaps. Lights go out in the arena. These fans are ready. Listen to that reaction for the your entrance music with Stan. Here we go. <clears throat> you and Stan come running into the ring. Stan does not give a single shit. He's waving that uh, <laughs> that rope around. <laughs> Does not care who he hits. Alright, we flashed ahead here to the final minutes of the match. You're holding the guy for Stan Hansen, but he puts up the boot, catches Hansen with it. He's fighting his way out. You get him with the double axe handle from behind and hit him with an atomic drop. There's the clothesline from Stan. You block his partner. And there's the finish. Yourself and Stan win those PWF World and International Tag Team titles. In your first match back with Japan after a six-year absence. Stan hasn't done yet. He's still wailing on people outside the ring. <laughs> hey, I, 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 I tease Stan. I mean, I was his partner. I was his partner, and like you know, when, and like we we would go to the ring, and he's he's swinging that rope, you know, and that thing, and everything, and, and it's kind of like, and it, it 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 sounds crazy, but the fans would actually, it's almost like they wanted they want they wanted to get hit by the rope <laughs> or something. Uh, it was just crazy, but I was kind of like, I'm his partner, and you know, without his glasses on, he can hardly see. And like I, I, I'd, I'd hold a guy up, you know, uh, for him to, uh, you know, give him the big lariat, 
you know, and like he, he'd hit us both. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, but no, it was, it was, it was good though. It was a, it was a great time. Man, I want I, I want to put it in context for our listeners right now. Four days, that's it. Four days before this, you were at SummerSlam facing Razor Ramon, and you're wearing all your million-dollar man gear, and you're that character that we had all become familiar with over six years. Yeah. Four days later, you're in Japan, and you are, I mean, it's badass. You are dressed in that cowboy gear with the chaps and the vest, and it's <laughs> you look like you just transformed right back to the yeah. Ted DiBiase of, of, you know, 1987. Just yeah absolutely incredible how did it feel getting back to japan in front of that audience it, it was I, I loved it i mean it was great it really was man it's so cool to see and like here's the other thing and this is something I, I wanted to ask you about ever since i watched that video was you know i i hear all the time that traditionally japanese audiences are quiet respectful try, tend to not make very much noise uh during matches but like your entrance and then the finish of that they yeah. the the roof came off the place yeah. Uh, is is that pretty atypical when it comes to Japanese or wrestling in Japan? Well, I mean, it's kind of like when I when I first went to Japan, it was yes, yeah, it was it was very unusual because like yeah, you, know, you the the fans you do something really big and they would go ooh ah or, you know like that, but you didn't have that. But over time, over time, the fans in Japan seemed to morph into just like the fans in the United States, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it, it changed, they changed. Um, uh, and I, you know, and, we, and again, that, that we love that as well. So it wasn't always like that, but I mean, over the time, over the time, it's kind of like, you know, they're going to yell and scream and ho holler too. So, you know, I wonder if it's as, as Vince's international footprint began to expand and, you know, WWF was, was being seen in more and more countries. You know, maybe maybe these uh, foreign audiences were seeing the giant reactions on TV and, you know, it's they start to get into it themselves. Well, and, you know, and, you know it, it, it could be, you know, and it's like it was kind of like, though, um, uh, Japan is one of those places that, I mean, the wrestling there were two, there were two organ, all Japan pro wrestling and new Japan pro wrestling. And the reason that I ended up being Stan's partner is like uh, Stan and uh, uh, Bruiser Brody were partners in all Japan. And they were two of the hugest names. And I'm sorry, as far as foreign wrestlers, you know, that came over to Japan. Yeah. Uh, and, and when Bruiser jumped and went over to, the other company, which that's also very unusual, uh, you know, like, cause, uh, you know, like loyalty is a big thing over there, uh, it was big news. And so that's when Stan came to me and he says, I need a new partner. He says, do you want the job? And I said, absolutely. And that's, that's when I became the partner and donned the shafts and the whole deal. Um, uh, and, uh, it was great. Huge opportunity in 1987, yeah. and now yeah. and, and now that opportunity is back. And yeah. you know, and yeah. you you had mentioned before that you were making really incredible money back in '87, and now that that offer is back on the table. So yeah. I mean, here you are back here in front of these really hot audiences who missed you uh, apparently right. for six right. years, and man, couldn't be much better. Yeah. Uh, and that's the that was the that was the, you know, and I, and I think I made it clear to Vince when I, when I left that you know, I wasn't leaving. Uh, 
because I was unhappy or anything, but it was, it was, it was more about, I've got to get, you know, I've got to, you know, I've got to get my, my personal life right. And this mm-hmm. is something I have to do for that reason. I need to be home more. And here you are with an opportunity to make some fantastic money with less states. I mean, you'd be nuts not to take it. Yeah. Um, and well, you're working here for quite a few days right out of the gate. And on 9-7, yourself and Stan would defeat your old pal and tag team partner, Steve Williams, along with uh, Tracy Smothers. Uh, Tracy is not a name, uh, much like Cornette, that I foresee us discussing here very often. Uh, any memories of him or working against him and Doc at this time? Uh, you know, I, I remember Tracy, but I mean, you know, to me, uh, I mean, I, you know, you him and Steve Williams, you know, Steve Williams is the star. Yes. He's the star, you know, uh, and Tracy's, he was good, but I mean, it was like, I don't think that, you know, Tracy never had a, like a, you know, a legendary name, I guess. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, awesome guy and well-respected, but yeah, you're right. Doc was the star. And by the way, all of the expectations that everybody seemed to have for Doc here in America, you know, like Vince got him way too late, but, you know, it was expected that Doc was going to be this giant star here in America. Well, he was a giant star, but it was just over in Japan. He was huge, huge over there. Yeah. Uh, so, Ted, right in the middle of this uh, tour to all Japan or return to all Japan, you jump back to the U.S. and uh, you actually take on Steve Kern in a losing effort on 924 with an indie promotion. Uh, it's also reported that WCW has reopened contract discussions with you during this time, but ultimately they couldn't uh, match your asking price. So, uh, you know, it's interesting here because, you know, in my mind, I was like, oh, OK, so Ted signed this contract with with all Japan. So now he's back there. Um, but I, I don't know, was it, was it a contract? Was it a handshake agreement? Cause it, it seems like, you know, if you're free to negotiate and work for other promotions then maybe you didn't sign something. Well, you know, it was a hand well, in Japan. There was never a signed contract. It was all, you know, uh, a handshake. Gotcha. Never, never had a signed contract in Japan ever. Well, it's uh, that makes that all makes sense because I was like, man, he's uh, he's bouncing back and forth and probably getting nice paydays on the indie scene here in America too. So, like, hey, good for you, man. Following the WWF, there was no slowing you down. You're you're helping me because I it's kind of like as we're talking about this stuff, you know, I'm trying to, and I'm going, oh yeah, okay, I I, I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it as you're giving it to me. It's like. Uh, but I know there somewhere like at, at, at nine, 93 and 94, it's all going to stop. It's about to stop here in November. We're about to get there soon. But okay. uh, but before we do, your next Japan tour starts on 929. And between there and November, yourself and Stan are doing both traditional tag team and six-man tag matches with Kendall Wyndham, Dan Spivey, and Joel Deaton as teammates. Uh, this whole period has got to feel like an absolute blur to you, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, all that back and forth and the plane trips and making towns once you get back to the United States. It's holy smokes. Keep him busy. I don't. And, and I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to remember. I mean, uh, when I went back to Japan, um, uh, Japan was the main the main deal. And uh, I, did I, you know, I can't remember. Did I make a lot of independent appearances when I came back? 
Well, so you know your your career didn't have much time left. So you were making indie indie dates whenever you know, like your tour would end in Japan. You'd be there for like a week or two weeks or something, and then you'd jump back over to the United States and you'd have a, a date or two while you were back in the U.S. that you would make. And uh, I, I assume you're staying with your family and getting some relaxation uh, yeah. in between, and then you're back off to Japan. So I mean, you were still keeping pretty darn busy here. Um, okay. Uh, here's to me one of the coolest parts uh, of doing this research is uh, on 1028. You're back in the states again, and it's a really cool nostalgic show that you get to be part of. And it's right here at the end of your career. Your career is about to end the next month, and incredibly, you get this really cool bookend. Te uh, Terry Funk is running a show in Amarillo called the High Country Chevy Free for All, and you get to be part of it on that. And uh, some of the other participants on that card are dory funk with uh teaming up with dick murdoch terry funk is taking on eddie gilbert in a texas death match boss man is uh facing your 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 uh teammate there from japan stan hansen and you are facing your old tag team partner tito santana and uh you get a win by count out then two days later you're gonna defeat terry funk himself by count out by count out in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania at the NWA bash. So, I mean, here you are right at the end of your career and you get to revisit some of the people who shaped your career along yeah. the way in some of your final uh -huh. matches. You know, uh, Marcus, as you're saying this, I'm remembering it. You are. Yeah. You're bringing back memories that I, I was like, wow. I, 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 until you said it, I went, I, I forgot. But, <laughs> but you're, I, you're, you're, yeah. You're doing all this work, buddy, and man, you're you're bringing back my home now. Yeah, now I remember. Uh, but I knew, I knew, I knew for sure that between '93 and '94, somewhere in there is when I retired. Yes, and it's coming up really soon. But man, it's it just uh, that really and jumped I, off the page and, to me. And largely, I think, due to the, uh, you know, the the neck injury. Yes, and yeah. that that part is coming up here quickly. But man, mm -hmm. it's just how cool is it that you know you've only got a couple matches left in your entire career, and one of your final ones is against Terry Funk, who you've named as being really instrumental in your career. Yeah, and I do remember that, and and what a way to go out, you know, because you know, here's a guy, you know, not only him, but his, but his brother as well, but Terry more than anybody, I guess, was mentored me i mean like when i uh anytime i had a question about uh anything that was wrestling related i always went to terry because yeah i mean uh, dory and his brother dory jr is i mean every bit as good as he is the difference was dory jr always you know you talk about a technician in the ring oh my gosh go watch some of the matches that dory funk jr had with jack briscoe oh mm. my gosh i mean i was totally uh you know I, I i knew i wasn't a mark at all i mean i grew up in the wrestling business and i knew what it was but they had matches where i was jumping out of my chair with excitement <laughs> uh, uh, but terry terry could do that but he could terry could i mean terry could do it all terry could be a scientific uh on the on the mat wrestler or he could be the wildest orangutan in the building and he did it all very, very, very well. Uh, as he got older, you know, so he was in his 50s, 60s, and he's doing moonsaults off of 
uh, off of ladders and going through tables and barbed wire. Uh, when you're seeing this out of your, your, you know, one of the guys who was so influential in your career, are you like, uh, what is he doing? Or what did you think? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I was like, I'm just going to like, Terry, really? I mean, <laughs> it's like, you know, um, I mean, I never, I never had an opportunity to tell him, hey, slow down, man. It's like, you know, uh, and again, like I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm six, I'm, I am six months away from uh, the big 7-0. I will be 70 years old. And that, and that, that means that Terry is now like, uh, what, 80, 87, 88, maybe. He's around there, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so uh, just, yeah, I mean, that was just it. Terry, he could do it all. And, and, and it didn't matter how, what, how old he was, he could still do it all. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it was like 95. He was in Japan with Cactus Jack and they were doing like these explosive death matches, you know, where you'd hit yeah. the board of barbed wire and the thing explodes and he's getting third degree burns. It's like, oh my God, what is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> hey, good for uh, him. Though. Again, there's the difference. There's the, you know, that's the difference between uh, Terry and his brother. But you know, again, um, uh, the other thing is uh, Dory Jr. is still alive and going. He's, I don't know. I don't think he's in, but a couple of, a couple of years older than Terry. But uh, I'm trying to think. The I, I saw him at, at, at like the uh, like a Hall of Fame Hall of Fame event that was held up in Albany. It was maybe a year or so ago, mm -hmm. and I sat and had dinner with. With him and his wife and and uh you know and he's as, he's as sharp as a tack man what a legendary family of guys i'm sure we'll, yeah. we'll discuss the the funks at length here on the podcast uh and uh, let's get to the kind of the finish the finale of your entering career here uh coinciding with tradition yourself and hansen would vacate your pwf tag team titles for a tag team tournament which would open on 11-13. In the first round, you and Hanson would defeat Tracy Smothers and Richard Slinger. And the next night on 11-15, you'd defeat Abdullah the Butcher and Giant Kamala the uh, Second. The 11-29 edition of The Observer had this to say. Ted DiBiase suffered, suffered a neck injury early in the tag tournament, severe enough to be sent home and be out for the rest of the year. Giant Baba will take his place as Stan Hansen's partner for the rest of the tour, although Stan had to give up the two points he and Ted had won. So uh, this, of course, would be the injury that would end your in-ring career. Yeah. Ted, Ted, do you recall if that injury was suffered in the match with Abdullah and Giant Kamala? Uh, or well, no, th this is something that was, uh, it wasn't just, you know, it was kind of like this, you know, I was worried about this anyway. I mean, I, I started having this numbness in my, uh, you know, in my left, in my left arm. And, uh, I didn't know what it was coming from. And so I, you know, so I go and see a doctor and basically, I mean, he tells me, he says, you've got a, you know, you've got a disc issue. And he says, what we need to do is the way we fix this is we take a back then they would take a bone chip from your hip and put that in there and then fuse it together. And I hadn't had this, this, this is before I had any, any surgery. And, uh, but I, you know, I felt obligated to go back to Japan, uh, because, you know, giant Baba had been so good to me and, and you know, the whole tag team tournament thing and everything. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, 
but and I told my wife, I said, this will be it. And so, but, but it was, I only got through a couple of days of that tour and realized I just can't, I can't keep going. Yeah. And that's what I told Janet Baba. And, uh, uh, you know, I said, I apologize. I said, you guys have been so good to me. And I said, I just had to come back and try. And he, he totally understood. And the other thing that absolutely amazed me, is like, this was like a, this was like a three week tour and I was only like four or five days into it. Yeah. And, uh, he says, I, I will, I'll be at the hotel and pay you tomorrow. He paid me for the whole tour. Incredible. And, and brother, I was making a thousand dollars a night. Holy smokes. Yeah. And that's what I said. He paid me for the whole tour. He said, thank you so very much. And he's, and, and he understood because he had had the same thing, the deal with the disc in his neck. And, uh, you know, and I didn't, and I didn't know, I didn't, you know, it's kind of like, uh, um, I know that after I had the surgery, this, the doctors told me, they said, now he says, here's the thing. He says, you know, the odds of it happening are a thousand to one. He says, but now that you've had this, this thing done, you know, if you ever get hit or something just the right way, it, it could leave you paralyzed. Not worth it. And I said, that's it. I'm done. So that was it. Wow. It's, I mean, you know, it, right after you get to wrestle your buddy Terry Funk, you know, you've just left the WWF and, you know, now you're back kind of to your roots here with Stan Hansen and getting a huge reaction. And then all of a sudden, just like that, it's just over. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it, when it's all done here, how do you feel? You know, it might sound like a silly question on the surface, but but let me kind of justify it here. You'd been on the road since the 70s at this point, and yeah. we're talking about years of travel and struggles and stress, and you're constantly trying to push this boulder up a hill, right, and accomplish yeah. these goals and scratch and claw to the top. Yeah. And and now all of a sudden all that scratching and clawing is done. Is it yeah. is it like a relief? Uh, in, in a way, it was kind of like it was bittersweet because – you know, I had grown up in the business. I had loved the wrestling business. I still love the wrestling business. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to be uh, my father. Um, and uh, again, and the one thing he and my mother never wanted me to be was a wrestler. But if you understood the way wrestling was then, you know, and I, I get it. You know, the, the I understand the travel being away from home all that time and, and everything and i got that but you know it's kind of like the the other part of me said well if, if it was good enough for them it's good enough for me and of course you know i again uh, i had a marriage that failed um and one son came out of that marriage and then i, I met uh, melanie in atlanta georgia georgia in 81 and, and uh and we got married and, and by the grace of god you know she she stayed with me and she is with me today. And she is with it. You talk about somebody that, um, there was a, there was a, there was a crisis point in our life when I'll just say this, anybody else would have left. But, uh, my wife's words to me were for some reason, I think that God wants me to give you another opportunity. And she goes, I, I'm not going to make you any promises. She said, uh, and 
know this, I'm not doing this for you because you don't deserve it, but I'm doing it in obedience to God. And I told my wife, I said, if you'll give me this chance, I'll become the man you thought you married. I'll become the spiritual leader of my home and God will in one day, I'll regain your trust and respect. And um, this New Year's Eve, we'll celebrate our 42nd wedding anniversary. You know, Ted, in, in hearing you talk about, you know, your faith and belief, it's it's interesting because, you know, we we would never celebrate the end of an in-ring career. Certainly not. Mm -hmm. However, uh, maybe that was God talking to you. You yeah. know, it's you had had a big year and a lot of ups and downs and some real struggles here in 93. And and now all of a sudden it's it's over. And maybe God was telling you, like, hey, this part of your life is over and it's time yeah. to refocus. Yeah. And I, I think that's exactly what, what what he was trying to say. So, um, and here we are. <laughs> and, and here we are talking about it 30 years later. Oh, uh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Ted, that is going to do it for this week. We will continue the story of what would happen to you following your retirement from entering action, including your return to the WWF and eventual turn into a manager. Um, so this week we wound the clock back 30 years and next week we're going to look five years even further into the past because we're going to talk about SummerSlam 1988 and you know what that is that's the mega powers versus the mega bucks <laughs> <laughs> so Ted, I, I can't wait to talk about that one with you buddy uh, all right okay well, hey, uh, before we go, I want to remind you all that if you'd like to get this podcast with no commercials and get access to a ton of sports, entertainment, and other shows, get over to PremierStreamingNetwork.com and sign up for Premier Plus. RVD has a podcast there. Sabu has a podcast there. My friend Efren does the game event there. If you're a wrestling fan, if you're a fan of sports in general, if you're just looking for some great entertainment, you are guaranteed to find it over at PremierStreamingNetwork.com. Guys, if you're enjoying our, our show, please... Uh, Go out of your way to give us a five-star review on your podcast app. Like, subscribe, comment. You know, all that kind of stuff helps us out a bunch. Uh, we'll be back for more next week. But in the meantime, we'd love to have you follow us on social media at Ted DiBiase Pod on all social media platforms. Follow Ted at MDM Ted DiBiase uh, on all of his social media. Follow me at Marcus P. D'Angelo on Twitter. And follow Premier Streaming Network at Watch on Premier on Twitter and at Premier Streaming Network on Instagram and Facebook. Ted, uh, look 30 years into the past. This was a blast today. Thank you very much. And I hope I see you next time. And until then, just remember, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys next week right here on Everybody's Got a Pod.